The beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply to the showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Um, we're still a little bit unsure as to the status of our phone lines right now. We think we've got a couple of the lines working, so we're going to try to take calls as well. But our text line is definitely working. It's 855-616-1620. So we will blast ahead, and our ACE engineers are working on trying to diagnose what the full problem is. So if you call in and you get a busy signal or you get an all circuits are busy or something, we, we are, in fact, working on it. But I think we've got enough that we can try to incorporate the uh, caller-driven portion of the program here as well. Okay. Let us set the mood for the first segment. John Hyatt coming to Milwaukee. Here's the song. California. Nothing to do but turn around. I always thought there's someone coming for you. Only way you leave this town. That is John Hyatt. He's going to be performing with Lyle Lovett in a couple weeks. I think he's at the Paps Theater. It's a Sunday night in October. But John Hyatt is one of my all-time favorite performers. And that song, which I think sets the mood for our first topic today, Adios to California. Will the last person to leave that state please turn out the lights? Oh, wait, you might not have to turn out the lights because, well, there's no power that is there. Now, you will remember last week that California became the first state in the country, and they got all this praise in the liberal media to announce that they were done with those evil internal combustion engines. After 2035, you would no longer be able to buy a new gasoline-powered car in California. But the other thing was the the number of gasoline-powered cars that were going to be allowed to be sold are going to be gradually phasing out. And the idea is, hey, we're at, that's great. We're going to all be driving our electric cars. And life is going to be wonderful. Now, there were a number of questions that were raised about this, including just my fundamental belief that the government has no role in telling consumers what what they should be able to buy and what they shouldn't be able to buy. But then there's all the, the practical concerns, the issues of, all right, how long is it going to take to recharge the batteries of these cars? Where are we going to get the lithium batteries? What are we going to do with the lithium batteries once they... Um, die, expire, whatever, um, how long can you go on a charge? How practical are these? And again, I'm not against electric vehicles. If you decide you want to buy an electric vehicle, my response is go with God, but I'm not with you right now. It's just, to me, it is a essentially a, a novelty, and it's a niche. And there may be a point in time where they're able to overcome all these various obstacles, and it becomes more than just a, a niche. But right now, we're not close to that. And to suggest that in the next decade, we're going to be close to that is, to me, it's kind of absurd. On top of that, in California, I get the idea that there's some people who just think 
that, well, the electricity, you just throw that switch on the wall and, and suddenly it's there. Well, electricity needs to be produced. And you have to have a way of doing that. And the truth of the matter is, while solar power and wind power and things like that can produce a little, it doesn't come close to producing the amount of electricity you need to, I don't know, air condition people's homes in the summer or heat people's homes in the the winter or keep the lights on and all those different types of things. So my question is, where in the world if if we don't have a sustainable power grid now, how over the course of the next couple of years, even if the technology for the electric cars develops, which I doubt it will, but even if that happens, how in the world are people going to charge these things? Can you imagine what would happen if everybody's vehicle, instead of just being able to go down to the gas station and fill it up with gas and boom, you're on your way, Every vehicle had to be recharged on a nightly basis. Where is the power for that going to come from? But, of course, in California, we don't think about that. So here is the story, if you haven't seen it. California residents are being told this weekend to not charge their cars. If you are one of the small number of people, and I don't know whether it's three or four or five or six percent, if you are one of the small number of people who have an electric car, you're being told, don't charge it. Why? Because what's happening is California is going through a heat wave. All right? So they're going through a heat wave, and the power grid that they have cannot support the electric needs. So in other words, if you, I don't know, have refrigerators, well, they're telling you maybe what you want to do to avoid a complete shutoff is maybe you want to unplug your refrigerator. If you've got an electric vehicle, they are, quote, urging you to refrain from electric car charging during the weekend. So Labor Day weekend, you're being told if you've got this electric vehicle, do not charge it. Okay, that's really good. If the power grid can't support a relative handful of electric vehicles now, how in the world is it going to be able to support a system where, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60% of the vehicles are electric vehicles with the idea that ultimately they'll all be electric vehicles. Yet this alert advises people with electric vehicles to avoid charging said vehicles. It encourages people to avoid using any large electrical appliances, turning off all unnecessary lights, overhead light um, fixtures, etc., etc., because they don't have enough power. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, see, a lot of times when you have disastrous policies, you can't, you don't see it coming. You know, you think, okay, well, this, this sounds really good on paper, and maybe it's not going to be that bad. In this particular case, you see it coming. 
where is the power grid going to come from to support all these electric vehicles? And if right now, every time it gets warm, they're already telling you don't charge the electric vehicles, what do you think is going to happen as more and more people are forced by the government to buy them? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. The irony of this is just absolutely delicious, except unless in case you live in California, in which case it, it's not a funny joke. I mean, California's announced we're getting rid of internal combustion cars. We're not going to allow them to be sold, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the many, many questions that a lot of us are asking is, well, okay, how, how are you going to charge the, these things? If all of a sudden everybody who owns a car in California or a good portion of them are going to have to start driving electric cars because the government's forced them into that what what about the power grid and to give you an example of this this weekend it's hot in california so they are already telling people do not charge your electric vehicles because otherwise we might have a complete shutdown of the system well if you're telling people that the system can't handle a relatively small number of electric vehicles now what are you going to do? Where is the power going to come from? And I haven't seen anything explaining what they're going to do on the power grid. They just decided to allow the only remaining nuclear power plant to stay open for a couple years. But where is the power going to come from? Before you implement a policy saying we're going to force you out of your internal combustion cars, don't you have a long-term, have to have a long-term plan for where the power is going to come from? And if you think it's going to be wind or solar powers that is going to, it's going to power cars, if everybody in California has to buy them, well, again, Mike, comment would be just be careful when you fall off that turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. Greg, Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I just want to uh, want to bring up a couple things. Uh, one about California. Currently, only 8% of the cars are uh, EVs. Right. So if they're already having issues with 8%, and this is going to be a gradual increase over the years. It's not just the, the 2035 cutoff. That's going to be an issue. However, uh, all of our goods that come in from overseas, most of them come in through uh, San Pedro, California. Why the ships are in port, they burn the lowest grade fuel possible, which is the biggest pollutant in the world. And then all the cranes, the uh, 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 trucks, and the rail cars all use diesel. And then if you look at uh, our power grids, Look at the one that runs from Michigan to Texas. Our power grid cannot deal yeah. with this, Jeff. And I, I hope more and more people realize that. No, absolutely. No. Have a great day. Yeah, you you as well, Greg. It, well, that's that's exactly it. And look, and and I I appreciate that there might be some time in the future where electric vehicles become practical for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about as as far as other than a niche thing. Look, I know people who drive electric vehicles. I've told the story of a friend who's got a place in Naples, Florida, and it, 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 he got a, he's got an expensive car, electric vehicle, and it's, it's fun to kind of like wheel around town. You, you wouldn't use it for any sort of long-term driving, you know, but it, it's fine. If, if that's, he's got other, he's got gasoline-powered cars when you need to like drive any sort of distance at all. Um, there, there are just so many problems with this, but this one starts with the whole idea of where are you going to charge this? Here's a couple texts. Jeff, so I guess this is your I told you so moment, huh? Yes. 
Yes, it is my I told you so moment. Normally, though, you have to wait a little bit to say I told you so. In this case, you only have to take a week. Jeff, I think they better start driving the Flintstone mobiles. Yeah, there's kind of an idea of that. Jeff, my daughter lives in Riverside. They told her that there could be blackouts this weekend, temperatures over 100. Absolutely. That's that's what the problem is. The grid as it exists now cannot support people running their air conditioners and having their refrigerators plugged in when it gets warm. So can you imagine what's going to happen when you now say, okay, we've increased the share of electric vehicles from 5, 6, 7 percent to 70 percent or 80 percent? How are they going to be charged? Now, maybe if you live in California, you're willing to simply say, okay, well, you know, it's going to be hot this week and we can't support, we can't charge our vehicle, so we'll stay home or we'll walk or, or we'll do anything. But I just don't think that's practical. Jeff, you are asking irrational people a rational question. They know it's not practical for this to work, yet they are pushing this hardline agenda. Jeff, I have a longtime friend that lives in a rural California community. Virtually everyone in that community now has natural gas power generators so as to deal with regular blackouts. Presumably, they could use these generators to recharge their electric vehicles if they have one. Oh, oh, yes. So now you're going to have to buy a, a new generator that runs on natural gas. Well, be careful with that because in a number of communities in California, they have already passed rules that prohibit you from on new construction of houses, installing natural gas lines. It has to be electric. I'm not making this up. There's a number of communities where you can't have natural gas lines anymore because, well, natural gas is, I guess, evil because they have to drill for it or something like that. It's just crazy. Um, Jeff, no worries in California. Um, the federal state will give everyone a windmill and include a social a solar panel plus a juicer. Um, well, that's that's it. Um, or since a power plant cost is over a hundred, is over ten billion dollars, and eight to ten years for construction, simply start increasing kilowatt rates in California next week. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly it. You would think if you're going to have a plan to do something like this, you you would at least say, okay, where are we going to get the juice for it? And if that means that we've got to make a commitment to this is two thousand by two thousand thirty five, this is going to be the situation. All right, let's start. Let's start building. What are we going to do? Let's build a couple more nuclear plants or, or however we're going to do this. Jeff, it's a nice idea, but we're probably at least a couple decades away from all of this. And really, the first thing we need to do is bring back nuclear power, a generation that is clean, renewable power source and typically very safe, unless you have someone like Putin taking pot shots at it. Once we provide enough reliable power to cover the additional load of electrical vehicles charging, I think that's one component. The others are the electric vehicle range, which is hopefully, you know, they're trying to improve it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. But it all starts with you, you don't put in these mandates unless you have an idea that you're going to be able to do it. Um, Jeff, what will happen during a fire and they preemptively shut down the grid and your car is not yet charged for the evacuation? Well, what if it's not charged for being able to get to work or whatever? Jeff, it just shows how free money handed out by the government turns people into sheep. It amazes me how people are overlooking all the shortcomings in electric vehicles, at least for the moment, be it the cost of the vehicles, the cost of replacing batteries, environmental costs of mining lithium, disposal of batteries, 
or the inefficiency of charging cars. I'm just blown away by the ignorance. Well, you know, that's that's I guess that's my take on this, you know, whole thing that we're not there yet. And maybe at some point in time we will. Jeff, you know, just so you know, I think that the gas generators they probably pollute just as much as the gasoline vehicles. I think that that's um, a, a case. Um, the amount of land required for solar or wind power isn't possible unless you destroy the environment and various animal species. Thank goodness we don't live in California. They don't think of the big picture. Well, I think there's an element of that as well. Look, here, here's the bottom line. There, there might, if, if we need to move towards this, okay, let the market move towards it. Let the car manufacturers work on the technology. But again, to just simply say we're going to wave a magic wand and we're going to make people, I don't know, make people get into these cars when we don't have any idea as to whether the grid is going to be ready for this and all the other problems is the definition of insanity. It's one of the reasons, not the only reason, of course, but it's one of the reasons that you see a net outflow of people from California. People are getting out of the craziness, period. So they're saying adios to California. Hopefully they won't be bringing the crazy California ideas to places like Wisconsin. The Gunslinger is back where he belongs. Catch Brett Favre with Jen, Gabe, and Chewy Monday mornings at 7.30 on 94.5 ESPN and again at 5.15 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Presented by Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin and sponsored by Concordia University of Wisconsin and Island Resort and Casino. All right, I will speak more about this tomorrow after the speech, but I do want to preview this because... If the speech that Biden is giving tonight is, in fact, the speech he gives, it is disgraceful, number one, that he would have the gall to demand that the networks give him free airtime. And secondly, it would be disgraceful the fact that the networks have gone along with this. Now, presidential addresses are are not uncommon. You know, you I want to speak to the nation because I want to explain why we're pulling out our troops and we're bugging out of Afghanistan. I want to talk to the nation about why when I said in April of 2021 that inflation was transitory, why I was wrong and why, you know, we're, we're still dealing with inflation a year and a half later. I, uh, if you want to say, okay, um, our border control policies are out of control. This is why I think it's not my fault. You get the idea. We're um, going to be sending, let's take the flip side. We're going to be sending, you know, various types of military aid to, um, to help in Ukraine. This is why. Those are the things that you have presidential addresses for. That is not... Apparently, what Biden has asked for president for time tonight and what he is being given by the networks. Now, here's the way the New York Times reports it. 
when President Biden travels to Philadelphia on Thursday, he will turn his attention to the threat to American democracy, the very issue he said drove him to run for the presidency in the first place. More than a year and a half after, Mr. Biden pledged during his inauguration to restore the soul and secure the future of America, he still believes democracy is in peril. White House officials said Mr. Biden is expected to use the primetime speech to take direct aim at the Republican Party as Democrats fight to retain their hold on Congress in the midterm elections in November. In recent days, Mr. Biden has replaced his usual calls for unity with sharp condemnations of mega extremists, saying Republicans have embraced semi-fascism by staying loyal to former President Donald Trump. And then he, he goes on. All right. This is apparently what he has asked for and been given time for. At least that's what all the reports suggest. So he is given essentially a a free anti-Republican ad to go and launch, oh, this is an attack on democracy, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if he wanted to explain his trillion-dollar student debt forgiveness plan, that would be something else. But in this particular situation, he wants to use this as essentially a paid-for commercial to attack the other party. This is the way um, a columnist in, in the Washington Post reports it. Um What this means is that Biden is the only president in more than four decades to ask major news networks to preempt their primetime programming just weeks before an election and broadcast a campaign speech whose stated purpose is to attack the opposition party. For the sitting president, this is the Washington Post uh, columnist, for the sitting president to commandeer the institution of a primetime presidential address, one that has been employed by his predecessors to comfort us in tragedy, announce military action, and make the case for policy initiatives of great consequence, and to use it for partisan attacks is not a legitimate use of such forum. There's simply no excuse for networks to give Biden free airtime for the speech much less to do so without giving Republicans equal time to respond. If Biden wants to deliver a primetime campaign ad attacking Republicans, he should have to pay for it, to which I I say amen. Now, all we know is that they've already said that this is going to be a speech that's designed to attack the the Republicans. So we'll wait to see what it is that he talks about. But, But here's the deal. If this is not announcing policy initiatives, if this is just going off on his, you know, rant that he's going on now to try to inflate his poll numbers and try to help Democrats in the upcoming election, there's no way, no way at all he should be getting free airtime from the networks to do it. They're just it's just fundamentally wrong. Of course, Joe Biden maybe like some of his predecessors, seems to me has very, very little sense of right and wrong, and at least with Biden, very, very little common sense to begin with. Otherwise, the economy wouldn't be in the mess that it's in. But, you know, I'll have more to say about this tomorrow because maybe there's some larger plan to this speech other than let's just um, bash Republicans in advance of the upcoming election. But if it's not much more than that, shame on the networks for giving Joe Biden just essentially a free campaign commercial. All right, when we come back, it's a new low for the local newspaper. I will explain. We will discuss. This is a new low for the, the Journal Sentinel, and it's just it, it's it's mind-boggling. I'm not surprised that they do it, but 
you have a, a newspaper that's been in the tank for Tony Evers for years, and it's in the tank for Mandela Barnes right now. But but even so, you would think that there would be certain lows that you wouldn't stoop to. All right, Tim Michaels, we know Tim Michaels is wealthy. He, you know, um, he and his family built this family business that employs thousands of people nationwide, worldwide, actually, that, that's based in Wisconsin. So... Is, is part of giving back to the community. Tim Michaels and his wife have what they call the Michaels Foundation. They've donated um, $1.16 million to charities in 2020. Now, the way you could write this headline, if you were a legitimate journalist, would be, hey, you know, Michaels Foundation donates over a million dollars to various charitable groups. You could do that. Of course, that's not the way the Journal Sentinel decides to spin this. The headline is, Wisconsin Republican Governor Candidate Tim Michaels uses his personal foundation to fund anti-gay and anti-abortion groups. Wisconsin Republican Governor Candidate for Governor Tim Michaels and his wife donated $250,000 to anti-LGBTQ and anti-abortion groups, representing about 15% of his total donations. Um, the Timothy and Barbara Michaels Family Foundation funded organizations that oppose all forms of contraception and abortions in all cases. They spent thousands on churches with anti-LGBTQ beliefs. Okay, keep keep that in mind. So now that this is an issue, oh, they, they gave this money, but they, they funded these various groups. So what are some of the groups that they ended up donating? Well, they donated $50,000 to the Spring Creek, Tr- Creek Church in Pewaukee, which is where they belong. They donated, and it's one of the mega churches. They donated $5,000 to Elmbrook Church in Brookfield. Elmbrook Church, by the way, one of the mega churches here, 3,200 members. So the Journal Sentinel apparently thinks that donating money to that church, well, okay, that's, that is an issue. It goes on to talk about how they donated money to the Milwaukee Veritas Society, Pro Life Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin Right to Life, Faith Lutheran Church and School of Fond du Lac, New Beginnings Pregnancy Center in Fond du Lac. You know, all, all these groups that are opposed to, you know, abortion and things like that. And these churches that um, are, are just anti-gay. Well, they're, they're mainstream sort of churches out there. So here's, here's how um, Michaels responds to this and this is the statement that they put out i've got a link to this if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 but rather than simply allow himself to be abused by the mainstream media and this hit piece in the journal sentinel which attacks them for charitable donations here's what he writes I was under no illusion that the mainstream media was going to fairly cover this race. They've been in the tank for Tony Evers since he first announced he was running against Scott Walker five years ago. They've covered for him in the four years he's failed as governor. They don't ask him tough questions. They don't examine his late schedule. They never press him when he ducks them. All this was well known as I was deciding whether or not to run for governor. Mainstream media bias is a known fact in politics. Every conservative knows this. But I am surprised that the anti-Christian bigotry now on full display emanating from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. They've now stooped so low as to attack my wife and I for donating to religious organizations. By now, most of you know my story. I was born in a small rural community in Dodge County. My parents were not wealthy, but they were industrious. They started a business from scratch, and by the time I graduated from St. Norbert College and entered the U.S. Army, they had a couple hundred employees. 
After my 12 years as an Army Ranger officer, I rejoined the family business. Unfortunately, I had I only had a year to work alongside my dad before he passed. Working side-by-side side with my brothers and my mom, we grew what is now the Michaels Corporation into Wisconsin's largest construction company, employing more than 8,000 people. I'm not going to apologize for the prosperity I've earned. The radical left thinks success is a bad thing. I think there is merit to hard work, and it's in my DNA to give back to my community. I know Barbara, that's his wife, and I have been blessed, and we give thanks, and we give back. The Michael statement continues. The corrupt media is trying to make our charitable giving and our faith into something malicious. Well, there is an element to that. This is appalling. While I'm a candidate for public office and the subject of this particular hit piece, we should be troubled by this unbelievable and unprecedented attack on private charity and religious activity. The left may think that only big government can do good works, but you and I know just how important and instrumental private charities are to the fabric of our way of life. Are your private charitable contributions the media's next target? I was born Catholic, and we support Catholic causes. I'm a Christian and attend Spring Creek Church now. We support our church and Christian causes. As you may know, our family, like so many others, has experience with cancer, in particular childhood cancer. We support the MAC Fund, Children's Hospital, and other cancer research. We have also given money to pregnancy resource centers, Wisconsin Right to Life and Pro-Life Wisconsin, because we believe women who may feel overwhelmed by an unplanned pregnancy need and deserve compassion, love, support, and options other than abortion. I apologize for none of it. Barbara and I appreciate that men and women at these organizations who work tirelessly to help others, and we are proud to support their efforts. But this is what we are up against. The biased media is so in the tank for Evers, they are saying our charitable donations are radical. I will never, ever apologize for giving to charitable causes or for being a Christian. However, the Journal Sentinel should be ashamed of their anti-religious bigotry. This is what the left thinks of private enterprise and private charity. This is what is at stake in the elections up and down the ballot this fall. Being outraged that this is understandable, but it's not enough. Get involved, push back, speak up, volunteer, donate, vote. There is more at stake than one election. So in other words, Michael says, hey, I'm not apologizing for this. I, I, I have my faith. I donate to my church. I donate to, I, to other churches. And, and yes, I have I have supported pro-life Wisconsin. Yes, I have supported Wisconsin right to life. Yes, I have supported pregnancy centers who give women an option other than abortion. And the headline you get in the local newspaper is Wisconsin Republican Governor Candidate Tim Michaels uses his personal foundation to fund anti-gay and anti-abortion groups. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think Michaels is handling this exactly appropriately. And I think that the fact that you've got a media outlet in this state that decides that they want to condemn, mock, and criticize people for giving money to their church or supporting causes that are hardly radical, like Wisconsin right to life or various pregnancy centers, I think it shows more about where the collective mainstream media is, shame on them, than it does about Tim Michaels. I'm wondering if there's going to be a backlash from all the rest of the people out there who give money to your churches who give money to groups like Wisconsin Right to Life, if donate money, if they, if donating money to, I don't know, 
Cancer Research and to Faith Lutheran Church and to the Milwaukee Veritas Society and the New Beginnings Pregnancy Center, along with you know, money that they give to the Sisters of St. Francis of Azizi in St. Francis. Okay, is this now an issue that is fair game in politics? And apparently, I mean, the answer is yes. Obviously, the Evers people think it is. Obviously, the folks at the Journal Sentinel think it is. I think there's going to be a huge backlash to this. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the attack on Michaels is disgusting. I can't believe how low some media outlets are stooping. Shame on the local paper. Well, I think there's an element to that. Jeff, you think the local newspaper will check if Biden, the Catholic, ever donated to his church? Very good point. Very good point. Would you see a headline if, if, and I assume that over the years Joe Biden has donated to the Catholic Church, would you see a headline saying, President Biden uses personal donations to fund anti-gay and anti-abortion groups, like donating to the Catholic Church? (laughs) You know, it's just amazing to me that we can now have this point where if you make donations to your church and believe it or not this is of course this is an attack let's not kid ourselves this is an attack on all of you who go to for example like elmbrook church it's an attack for people who go to again spring creek church in pewaukee it's an attack to all of you who've attended the wisconsin right to life dinners for example over the years and support charitable thing causes like that this is now this is an issue if you have the audacity to do donate to these groups you get this snarky headline about how you're using your personal foundation to fund anti-gay and anti-abortion groups michael nails it on the head. He's somebody who does not apologize for his religious belief and his support of different things. Now, look, if that's your if that's your driving issue, if you're one of these people who think we should have the abortion on demand, well, okay, I, I appreciate that Michaels probably isn't your candidate. But, oh, he's funded all these anti-gay groups because he gave money to his church, for goodness sakes. He's funded all these anti-abortion groups because he has the audacity to take a mainstream group and contribute to it. Again, if the Journal Sentinel had any shred of dignity, what you could have written this headline in so many different ways. Michaels gives, you know, $1.16 million to various charitable groups. That could have been the story, but that's not the way that they want to spin it to try to get the negative Republican story du jour. I think it's going to backfire big time, and I'm glad that Tim Michaels isn't backing down. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spalding, I was intrigued by the commercial from Kessler's that aired during your newscast. Yeah. Do you know your ring size? No. No. Do you wear, I mean, do you, do you wear I do. a wedding ring? You yes, wear a, I do. Okay. Do you ever take it off? Yes. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. I, I sometimes will go a couple days without wearing it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I ask is because... I don't, um, and it, it. I mean, everybody knows my story. My, my first wife, we were married for going on thirty years, and she passed away after a long fight with cancer. Um, but I, I had never taken off my wedding ring, never. And so she passes away, and I, I mean, I continued wearing the wedding ring for a while, and then it was, it was just, it was just time to. Yeah, it was time. To, I couldn't get it off. It would not come. I mean, because it, it literally. 
been going on thirty years, and so my my fingers had gotten apparently a lot bigger and, and stuff in it. I, and I did I did everything, you know. I mean, there was there was all the home remedies, and you put this on, and you do that, and you do this, and it, it, this it was not coming off at all. So I ended up having to have it cut off. My yeah. a very similar story. My dad had to get surgery, and my parents, I think, at the time, were married for about thirty five years. He had never taken it off either yep. since nineteen eighty five. And yeah, they had to go in and they had to cut it off. And I think my mom got it melted down and turned into earrings for her or something along those <laughs> lines. But yeah, he had a very similar experience. I can tell you after being married only for four years that my fingers have like become accustomed to the ring because if I try and put it on my right hand, it doesn't fit as well. So okay. that's it. Well, I've got so uh, Fran and I have been married. It'll be five years at the end of, of this month. And so I, I, I kind of told myself <clears throat> that. That I, I I was going to take it off from time to time. I mean, wear it all the time, but maybe at night or something. But I haven't. It hasn't. It hasn't been off and going on five years, and so it it, it does. I, I can still get it around my hand, but so that's kind of like this lesson because I this this I could not take it off. You know, it was just it's so you end up going into the jeweler and saying I can't get this off, and they say Oh, sure you can, and then they try these different things. And, oh boy, that's not coming off. So they end up having to cut it off. So that's just. It's kind of like one of the tips. I was just actually surprised at that, but um, that hasn't. I haven't learned my lesson because I still keep it on all the time. I take it off from time to time to, like, if I'm washing dishes or if I'm washing yeah. the cars or doing something where I just feel like the ring maybe won't hold up as well if I'm using chemicals uh-huh. or something like that. So I take it off there, but the wife and I have nifty uh, tattoos, so it's always something on there. The wife and I? <laughs> yes. My wife and I, <laughs> I both just, got these. So. My wife and I both. Yeah, I'm trying, I, I take it off sometimes when I'm like washing dishes or if I'm out on a Friday night or something like yeah, that. Yeah, when huh? you with the boys after <laughs> yeah. a Brewers game, sometimes it comes off. <laughs> right. No, so I don't know my ring size either, other than I know that every once in a while, if you leave it on for 30 years, it's good chances it's not coming off again. But that's that's okay. I'm, I'm if, if I get another 30 years out of this one, uh, that will yeah, be... It doesn't really at, ever need to come off, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. No, it, well, plus it's not like... I mean, I just have I have a, a silver wedding band, you know. It's, so it's not like I, I've got a diamond ring or something. It's just it's it's just fine. So, um, but I don't know my ring size either. Okay, we've solved that problem. If you follow, okay. So I, I admit, and I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow. But I, I admit that at least just listening to these preliminary reports, that Joe Biden has managed to con the three major networks into giving him free airtime for an anti-Republican screed about how democracy is challenged. And, you know, this is you know th- uh, two months before an election. It, it's just appalling to me. There are so many things that I would like to have Joe Biden, I don't know, have a press conference that he explains. For example, I, I sent this tweet out yesterday, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 it, It's so interesting because because every time I talk about inflation and the, the stock, the the amount of wealth that has been lost in this country to middle class, upper middle class, upper class, anybody, anybody who has any degree of wealth and has money invested in 401ks, the stock market, the amount of money that you have lost over the last year plus because of the spiral of inflation I'd love to hear Biden talk about that. Now, whenever I say this, I always inevitably get a couple texts. Oh, the president has, doesn't have anything to do with inflation. It's not his fault. Nuts to that. That's just absolutely ridiculous. So I, I actually did did some little bit of research last night. In Mar- And here, this is what the, the tweet says, and you can follow the links. In March of 2021, Joe Biden approved a third stimulus payment costing taxpayers over $400 billion. This was... When the pandemic had pretty much wound down, but it was this idea that we're going to send all this money out to people because, well, we want them to like us. After they did that, 
it began an inflationary surge which has crushed consumers and the economy. Since Biden signed off on that third economic stimulus payment, the Dow is down 14%, over uh, somewhere between 4,800 and 5,000 points. The S&P is down 18%. The NASDAQ is down over 10%. And it, it just continues. I mean, the, if you, you look at your 401k plans and you look where were they, how much money did I have at the end of March of... 2021, and you look at how much money you have now, you will be shocked at how much the value of these investments have gone down. Now, I don't think it's exclusively because of Biden, but there's no question at all that his policy of taking money we don't have and giving it to people without any regard for whether they need it or not and expecting them to spend it, there's no question that that has fueled inflation. I admit that there's other factors as well, but there's only so much you can do to blame Vladimir Putin in the war in Ukraine. You look at what's going on here, and I think it is directly attributable in part to Biden's economic policies. So rather than hearing him talk about how he feels... Democracy is challenged by those MAGA types. I, I'd much rather have him explain how he got it so wrong last summer, how he got it so wrong last spring. And when he said that inflation was, for example, transitory, I, I'd like to hear him explain what he means by transitory. To me, transitory is a couple weeks or a couple months, not a year and a half, with no end to when it's going to stop. And by the way, again, the stock market down Again today, uh, Dow down 65, NASDAQ down almost 200 as the plunge continues and more and more middle class wealth just disappears. All right, when we come back, it happened because of poor policies during the pandemic. What can we do to turn it around? Stick around. Get that passport ready. WTMJ is sending you on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to see the green and gold play in London. You could qualify for this amazing trip to London, including airfare, hotel stay, transportation, and two tickets to the game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tune into Wisconsin's Morning News every day at 710 for your chance to win. It's the Great Britain Giveaway, only on 620 WTMJ. For official contest rules, visit WTMJ.com. All right. When, when COVID hit, there was a decision made to close the schools and then keep them closed for a long period of time, forcing all sorts of kids into remote learning. Now, we talked at the time about whether, in many cases, this was an overreaction, whether it was panic, whether it was necessary, and, and I don't want to really revisit that. But one of the things that we knew, or I think was foreseeable at the time, is once we closed the schools and consigned people to the abyss that was remote learning, we knew that we were going to be stunting kids' education. We were going to be stunting their socialization. And we know that for many, many, probably most students, remote learning was was a very cruel joke. That's kind of like that, what do they say, the oxymoron. There were some people that that thrived by it, but most flat out didn't. 
Well, the results are starting to come in. Here's the way the New York Times reports it. National test results released on Thursday showed in stark terms the pandemic's devastating effects on American school children, with the performance of nine-year-olds in math and reading dropping to the levels from two decades ago. This year, for the first time since the National Assessment of Educational Progress Tests began tracking student achievement in the 1970s, nine-year-olds lost ground in math and scores in reading fell by the largest margin in more than 30 years. The decline spanned almost all races and income levels, but were markedly worse for the lower-performing students. While top performers in the 90th percentile showed a modest dip, students in the bottom 10th percentile dropped by 12 points in math, four times the, the impact. In math, black students lost 13 points, compared with five points among white students, widening the gap between the two groups. Research has documented the profound effect school closures had on low-income students and on black and Hispanic students in particular, in part because their schools were more likely to continue remote learning for longer periods of time. In other words, this decision to go to remote learning and keep it going just made matters worse and worse and and worse. The Wall Street Journal reports on this as well, and they're saying, okay, one of the reasons why this is getting so much attention is because these are national tests as opposed to state tests, which might vary from state to state. But, But there's no question that what you have is kids who have gone the wrong way and kids who really didn't have any latitude to go the wrong way have gone the wrong way faster than other kids. Test scores reflect more than a pandemic problem, this is what the Wall Street Journal says, with experts saying it could take a generation for some scores to rebound. They say current achievement levels could weigh on economic output for years to come. In other words, because if you don't, if you've lost a year or two because of the, the pandemic, you, how do you ever get that back? For, for most kids, you're never going to be able to get it back, so you're always going to be behind. You, you don't have, because for example, math and reading, they're things that you, they're, they're building blocks. And you know, you learn to do stuff in first grade, and then what happens is you use that to, to launch on to and, and do stuff in second grade, and third grade, and fourth grade, and you move through the list. Well, if you've lost a year or two, and you've regressed, and Maybe you should be operating, you know, in, in third grade, but you've got the math skills of a first grader. How do you get caught up on that? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the answer? And, and, I, and I throw that out as an open-ended question because, again, I don't want to, I, I don't want to debate the, the decision to, to close the schools in the first place and keep them closed well after I think they should have been opened. I I don't want to discuss that because that's water under the bridge. That's a decision that the people who made it are going to have to live with and own for years to come. But I'm concerned now that to no one's surprise, you have documented evidence that you, you have kids that have fallen behind. Everybody's fallen behind, but the kids who can least afford to fall behind, they have fallen further and further behind. So what do we do? To deal with this, our number is 855-616-1620. I've got some ideas, but you know this is a crisis. It is an educational crisis, and we need to figure out how to overcome it. What would you do to at least try to help the kids who've fallen behind over the last two years 
get back to some sense of where they should be with learning. 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are starting to fall, and you know what that means. It's time to get your home prepped for winter, and it's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank. Join me every week as we showcase the various ways you can ready yourself and your home for Wisconsin's infamously cold seasons. It's the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's Radio Six Station 620 WTMJ. Okay, so we now have confirmation. And, and we, we knew, I think, anecdotally that the school shutdowns because of the pandemic were bad. The longer they lasted, the worse they were. We know that remote learning for most kids was a failure. And now you're starting to see these numbers, and it looks like, well, maybe we've lost a generation of kids because they, they've they, they've dropped. The scores objectively across the board have dropped in reading and math, and, and how do you ever make that up? 855-616-1620. I, I guess as a starting point, I think there's two things you need to do. First of all, and I know it is unpopular, but I, I think this is if there's ne- if there was ever a call for mandatory summer school, that this is it. That the idea that you know we just we have to figure out a way to let these kids catch up, and we have to have more intense con- we have to have more intense instruction. So if there was ever a justification for saying we just can't take. 9, 10, 12 weeks off during the summer. It can't be business as usual. That would be number one. So to me, this is, at least in the short term, it's a justification for year-round school, mandatory summer school. The other thing that I think is called for is this is, you know, we have all the, these education dollars that are that are floating around, you know, because of the taxpayer relief things and stuff like that. To, to me, the question is, how do you spend that wisely? And to me, the most effective way of spending that is to put most of it towards you know individual one-on-one tutoring, particularly in some of the schools where you've had the greatest drop. Let's just, you know, you, you've got to get it one-on-one and try to, maybe you can do this in the context of the mandatory summer school, but make more of a commitment to, to education. And maybe it's tutors that are available after school to work with the kids to try to specifically help them beyond the parameters of the regular math class, help them, you know, understand this sort of stuff. Here's a text. Jeff, stop summers off, summers off. It's a relic from the farm days. Well, I think there is an element to that. I mean, I look, I, I like the idea of summer vacation. I appreciate that. But given what's happened over the last couple of years, we, we no longer, I think, have that luxury. Jeff, uh, refresher programs are likely a good way to catch up new learning curriculum as well. Well, by refresher programs, if you mean like tutoring, then I'm I'm all in favor of that. And, you know, we've got all this money that's floating around. I'd like to see a lot of it earmarked for tutors. Let's figure out a way we can put this into actually doing what we all want to do, which is educating educating the kids. Jeff, if you're Tony Evers, you're just going to throw money at the problem. In my opinion, we should go to year-round school for a few years and see if that can make up for the deficits. I'm not sure, but it might be worth a try. Um, yes, I, I mean, there, there's no question that that's the deal. Jeff, this is indeed an educational emergency. We had $122 billion from the American Rescue Plan that has been granted 
an extension through September of 2024. My children have weathered the storm okay, but their classmates have not. Why not use this ridiculous amount of funding to provide tutoring for those in needs? Well, yeah, I think, you know, that's that's the situation. I mean, what you have is you have the, the tutoring and you have the year-round school. If we don't do stuff like that, we're, we're never going to catch up, and we're going to lose a generation. We're flat-out going to lose a generation of, of kids. It's been a struggle to begin with. COVID came in. Again, you can argue about whether the right thing to do was to shut it down. You can argue about whether or not we stayed in remote learning too long. But regardless... That has caused a huge problem, and we got to figure out a way to get out of it, and we got to start thinking outside the box. Year-round school, to me, is the start. Our next story comes from Madison, Wisconsin. And the, the, the headline, I know because I, I, got, some, I got some people who, who alerted me to this story, initially it had provoked outrage for for people who haven't been familiar with this story what happened is okay last week there is a guy living in his house with his wife or girlfriend and, and their child at about 2:30 in the morning somebody enters the house wearing a ski mask at which point in time the the homeowner the guy inside, whose name is Jose Malik Gomez, he he grabs a gun and he shoots the intruder, ends up killing him. Don't know if the intruder had a gun or not, but there, I mean, there, there, there's there's bullet holes in the house and stuff like that. So I don't know if there was a gun battle or whatever, but but it doesn't it doesn't really matter because you know you've got somebody who broke into. An apartment. I mean, here's the way they reported on one of the Madison TV stations. A suspected masked intruder who was found dead inside a Madison apartment early Friday morning was apparently shot by the person living there after breaking into the home. Around 2.30 a.m., officers rushed to the home in the 1700 block of Packers Avenue after someone spotted a masked man, reported a masked man, broke into the apartment and that shots had been fired. The man was waiting outside at the home for the police. He directed officers into the apartment where they found the guy suffering from the gunshot wound. The person who was shot was pronounced dead at the scene. So, okay, you get you get the background of this. A woman and a child were inside the apartment when officers arrived. Police quickly escorted them both out. All three people were at time at home at the time of the break-in are okay and are cooperating with the investigation. Multiple guns were found inside the apartment, but detectives had not determined if the intruder was armed at the time of the break-in. Barnes said detectives found evidence of forced entry and are trying to determine why the intruder went to that particular apartment or apartment building. They're also working to figure out if the person who had been killed or had been alone or had an accomplice that was in the area. The matter is under investigation. Okay, so you you hear this story, and then if I were to tell you that the follow-up is that the the guy who was in the apartment, the, the shooter, was arrested and has now been released on a $1,000 bond. You might go, wait a second. 
What do you mean the guy was arrested? It's 2.30 in the morning. Somebody breaks into your house. They're wearing a ski mask or whatever. You have every right to pull out a gun and to shoot them. You're defending yourself. It's the castle doctrine. And if you would have said that, I would have said, yeah, I, I tend to agree. But as the late Paul Harvey would say, here's the other side of the story. Homeowner who killed intruder now facing charges. Um, the homeowner is now again is Jose Malik Gomez. Um, he has now been charged after shooting and killing the suspect. But interestingly enough, and the, the charges are very clear, he's not being charged with homicide. No, no, no. Not being charged with homicide. He's being charged with illegally possessing the gun that was used in the homicide. Initially, Gomez apparently said that it was his wife who shot the intruder. Wasn't me. It was Fran that started firing away. Oh, see, that was the original story. He then subsequently admitted to being the one who fired the gun. Um, despite admitting to firing the gun, he's not facing murder charges. However, he is facing charges because he's a convicted felon. He is also facing drug charges. This is what the DA says. We're prosecuting him for the giant drug dealing operation that was in the house. He had pounds of THC, pills, and ecstasy. So in other words, the guy is hes a convicted felon. He's dealing drugs out of the house, apparently a large quantity of those, and somebody breaks in. Now, now of course, once you know that other dazzling detail, it's, it's very clear what happened. This was a robbery of a drug stash house, and the guy who had multiple guns, you know, somebody busts into his house, and he comes out firing, and somebody's dead. So that, that, that's okay. You can't charge him for killing the intruder, and I think that's probably a safe bet, but they do charge him with being a felon in possession and then, again, operating the drug house. His wife has also been charged with maintaining a drug trafficking place as well. Here, if I had any criticism at all of what's going on, it would be the fact that the shooter who has been charged only with felon in possession of a gun and with the drug dealing charges, he's being released on a $1,000 bail. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Guess the way I look at this, first of all, of course it is appropriate to charge him. In this particular situation, this is what happens when you decide you're going to run a drug house. You're going to run a drug operation. Well, there is a chance that you're going to get ripped off. That is kind of the risk you take. So I understand why you've got a gun. But if you're a felon, I don't care. You're not allowed to have it, and you're certainly not allowed to use that gun to defend your drug trafficking operation. So number one, he deserves to be charged with felon in possession of a firearm. Number two, if he's dealing drugs out of that house, and it certainly sounds like he was, he deserves to be charged with that. If I have any beef in connection with this, it's that they're releasing him on a $1,000 bail. You've got a convicted felon with a gun operating a drug house. You know, maybe... Maybe the cash bail, sorry Mandela Barnes, but maybe the cash bail should be a little bit larger because do you think releasing him on a $1,000 cash bail is going to deter him from continuing to carry a gun? Being a felon in possession didn't. you have any problems with, uh, again, first of all, the fact that they have issued charges in this case for felon in possession of a gun, and secondly, that they're letting him out on this, what I would say is a stupid low bail. 855-616-1620, we discuss. 
855-616-1620. I think we have, again, we've been dealing with a phone issue all day. I think we, we have like one, maybe two phone lines open. So I understand a lot of people call up and you get a little bit frustrated because you hear all circuits are busy. We're working on it. We are working on it. Jeff, stop being such a cynic. Do you really think this is going to continue? Do you really think he is going to continue his drug dealing or possessing guns when he's out on his $1,000 bail? smiley face you need to have more trust in people and people learning their lessons um yes jeff what is a thousand dollar bail to a drug dealer that's absolutely laughable um yeah there's there's no question jeff when i got busted toilet papering my high school homecoming in 1988 i spent the night in jail this guy blamed the shooting on his wife the wife of his baby's mother they let him out on a thousand dollars and they think he's coming back to face charges good luck with that what a joke yeah 855-616-1620 i I guess that's that's my point. See, and again, this is why sometimes you just have to take a beat and a pause to, to wait before you look at a case because I mean, at first blush, okay, somebody busts into your house wearing a ski mask at 2.30 in the morning and, and you shoot them. I don't think there's going to be too much sympathy for that. But then it turns out that you're a convicted felon. It's a drug house, which explains the reason why the guy was busting into it in the first place. Now, again, I'm not arguing that he should be charged with murder. I think this is clearly a case of self-defense under the circumstances. But this is this is why you have these laws. And I, I I'm, I admit I'm on my high horse, but one of the reasons that I think we have such out-of-control gun violence in urban areas throughout Wisconsin and throughout the country is we do not take these laws seriously, that you have a situation where, you know, if we were serious, when we tell people who are felons, you are not allowed to possess firearms, and then you catch them with firearms. And in this case, this isn't even... This isn't even a, a typical sort of case of self-defense. It's not a situation where, gee, the guy is a hardworking guy who's going to work in a high-crime area, and he's been victimized and things like that, so it might explain why he's got the car, the gun under the car seat. Not defending that, but at least, you know, and that might be, okay, well, this is why I had to have it, because I've been robbed several times, etc., and I know I wasn't allowed to do it. But it wouldn't be an excuse, but it would be a mitigating factor. In this particular situation, there's no mitigating factors you've got this yo-yo who is a convicted felon who's operating a drug stash house and has guns presumably there were more they said there were multiple guns that were found presumably he's armed to the teeth because he wants to defend himself and he wants to protect his dope if in fact somebody ends up breaking in well that's all well and good but that's the situation where you get hauled off in handcuffs. And to me, the insult of all this is that you turn them loose on a $1,000 bail, which is pitifully low for an armed drug dealer. And yet this is what passes for justice. Jeff, I hope the child is also in protective custody now and both parents will be chi- charged with child abuse. Well, there's an element of that. Jeff, take all his guns. He shouldn't have had them in the first place. Well, yeah, that's true as well. My guess is that's one of the reasons why he lied at first and said, 
oh, you know, who, who put all these bullets? I don't know how many bullets the guy that got shot was, but who put all these bullets in this guy wearing the ski mask? Oh, that was her. You know, she she ended up doing it. I presume that was one of the first things he did. He lied about that because he knew that he was a felon in possession of a firearm, and he'd be in a lot of trouble for this. Now, I, I hate to tell him again if I put on my recovering lawyer hat that that doesn't make any difference because. There's such a thing in the law called constructive possession, which means even if it's not your gun, you're not allowed to be around that gun. So if you're if you're a felon, for example, and you've got a whole bunch of guns at your house, it's not a defense to say, oh, those were all my wife's guns. Sorry, that's just not the way the law works. So, um, you know. What, what can you do here? Um, Jeff, um, it's obvious the guy isn't learning his lesson as he's a felon and continues to deal. He won't be found again. I'm sure he doesn't want to go to jail or in prison. Well, that's going to be an interesting question. You know, does he does he jump bail or something like that? Um, so you've got all those circumstances. But the bottom line here is, I, I think in this case, with the exception of the bail, the Madison District Attorney's Office got it exactly right. You don't charge him with the shooting, but you do charge him with felon in possession. And, of course, if he's a big-time drug dealer, you charge him with that. So the bottom line is one guy is in the morgue. Another guy will hopefully going be going to prison for several years. But this is Dane County, and just like Milwaukee County, you can never make these assumptions when it comes to criminals. A number of people are asking, what was the guy's underlying felony, the guy who shot the intruder in his in the drug house? And I, I don't know. It's a common name, and so I can't a lot of a lot of criminal contacts, but I can't tell you exactly what the underlying felony was. But it doesn't make any difference. If you're a felon, you're not supposed to have guns. Hey, coming up in about ten minutes, I, I, I have a, and it is a very, very serious question. Regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump, whether you hate him, and you can admit it, there's a lot of you out there that, that hate him. It's always funny whenever we talk about this. There's people, well, I don't hate him, but I want to see him frog marched out in handcuffs, and I want to see him put in prison, and I want to see him assaulted in prison, and then I'll be happy, but I don't hate him. And then there's people who continue to believe that he can do nothing wrong. I, I want to have a, a different kind of conversation because I've been following the, these this record stuff relatively closely and while i continue to not believe that it should be the basis for criminal indictments because i think it sets a really really bad precedent there's still a more fundamental question that i want to discuss with you is which is is the why question i mean what what why 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 do this if you're donald trump we're going to be talking about that and um it's now the in thing to have for three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and eight-year-olds. I'll explain that. That's all coming up in the next um, portion of the program. But before that, the football season is getting ready to start. What I think is, is, is the first game like a week from tonight or something like that, and then the Green Bay season starts, I think, on a week from Sunday. And and when that happens, there's certain types of ads that, that just appear all over, you know, the TV screens. Remember during the Super Bowl, the big ad was, 
you know, you had all these different people, starting with Matt Damon and Larry David, who were out there, you know, touting crypto. Here, you know, you 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 know, for all you people who don't think like cryptocurrency is a good investment, well, be brave, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, I don't you don't hear from many of those people anymore because you know, if if the stock market has gone into the tank, which it has, it, it's nothing compared to the losses that people who invested in cryptocurrency have sustained. So you're, you're not hearing anything about cryptocurrency anymore. But one thing that that is inevitable going to happen and the Wall Street Journal has a piece on this that once the football season starts you're going to start seeing all sorts of ads with high-profile pitchmen like Joe Namath William Shatner you know Captain Kirk and Jimmy JJ Walker you know dying all might from the old good times TV show they are the most prominent pitchmen for what has become the annual fall selling frenzy for Medicare Advantage policies now, for people who have not gone through the maze of this, in, in a nutshell, once you turn 65, you, you, you have to sign up for Medicare. Medicare is Part A, which is hospitalization, and Part B, which is regular medical stuff. Once you have to get actually get on Medicare Part B, which doesn't automatically kick in at 65, if you've got insurance from other sources, you don't have to do that, you then have, have choices. Do you go with just a regular Medicare Part B, which doesn't cover all your expenses. Or most people do one of two things. They either get what's called supplements, like in Wisconsin, they, they have to, they're priced differently, but they have to offer all the same things. And there's a number of different places. These are like traditional insurance policies that cover largely what Medicare Part B doesn't cover. They tend, so that's the one thing that you can do. The other thing is there's Medicare Advantage plans, and you've heard those advertised. They're different than the the supplemental insurance policies because, well, in some respects, you know, they have more perks and they tend to be cheaper. But part of this problem is that they don't offer anywhere, I mean, they're an alternative to the traditional, you know, fee-for-service for Medicare things, but they don't, th- there are limitations. You you can't, um, you, you can't necessarily choose your doctors. I mean, there's certain networks that you have to follow. Um, and, and so, again, it's a very, very difficult decision. I have a very strong feeling about what's right and what's wrong, but that's for me. You know, it, it's a complicated decision. I think a lot of people get confused, and a lot of people get caught up in the, hey, you've got, you know, William Shatner, or you've got Joe Namath, and they're out there, and they're touting this particular program or that particular program, and I'm going to sign up for it, and hey, and it's free, and I get all these types of things, and then... It turns out that there, there's all sorts of pitfalls to it that they didn't really know. Bottom line is you're not going to see as much of that this year because the FCC has started to kind of crack down on 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 how you can market these different programs and the claims you can make. Now, again, it's a very, very complicated decision. And I admit I kind of cringe because you, you really, I think, need to have an advisor and somebody to walk you through this stuff because – if you make the wrong decision, it can really have drastic effects down the line. And, and whether you know the, the traditional Medicare supplement is appropriate or whether it's the Medicare Advantage, you know that's something that's going to vary based on your financial situation, your health situation, and all sorts of stuff. But just buying a plan because J.J. Dynamite Walker or Captain Kirk William Shatner tells you to do it, 
That's, I think, something you need to be really, really careful about. And you're going to see less of those ads this football season because, again, the government's a little bit concerned that people may have been being deceived. When we come back, what was he thinking? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. All right. I, as I said in the lead up to this, I understand that there are people who, who hate Donald Trump and are not going to be happy again until he's frog-marched out of Mar-a-Lago or out of Trump Tower in handcuffs and prosecuted and put in a maximum security prison and put there for the rest of his life. Okay, I get that. And then, of course, there's other people who think he can do absolutely nothing wrong. I, I have a much more nuanced, I think, view of this. And as I have argued before, this this whole thing with the, the documents and all, it's think you need to be really careful about prosecuting former presidents and just like i thought this push to lock hillary clinton up lock her up because of the server stuff i I thought that was bad for the country i thought it was wrong and at the end of the day even though i think it's very very clear that she technically committed a crime i thought it was appropriate to take a pass on that and allow her to run to be the president of the united states similarly I guess I need to see a lot more evidence before I'm convinced that it's necessary to prosecute Donald Trump for maintaining these various records. Um, I guess I got to look at it. I got to see what the records were. What was he going to do with them? All those type of things. Because even though I think it's pretty clear he shouldn't have had them, a lot of times you use your discretion in deciding, you know, what you're going to do. Was he going to sell them to the Russians? Okay, well, that that's clear. Did actually, did people steal records or was this was everything they wanted recovered? So I think those are all factors, and I understand that doesn't make those of you who want to see him frog marched out and say, "Well, oh, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong, and we've got to put him in prison for this." That's you know, in this country, we do not have a, a history of when an elected leader leaves office, him being prosecuted for arguable crimes. Um, especially if it didn't affect things like national security or stuff like that. Now, if again, if some of these documents turned out to be in Russian hands or stuff like that, that's a different story. But but time will tell. But I, I don't want to discuss because candidly, I'm, I'm tired of th- this conversation right now about whether or not it's to be in jail or or not. I'm more intrigued with a larger question, and I am genuinely curious about this. And that is, that is why. Why do you think that Donald Trump maintained these records? Because, you know, I mean, it it is true that sometimes Obama did this. You know, presidents walk off with, you know, documents that they're not entitled to, to keep, and typically they end up giving them back. In this particular situation, it's it's very, very apparent that Trump left office with records that should have been turned over to the National Archives. And it's also very, very apparent that there was an effort that was made over the course of more than a year to try to get these these documents returned. And the, the general 
response they got was essentially, I don't think they took it, it seriously. So you, you can argue, should this be treated as a crime since you've got it back? Is it no harm, no foul? Again, that's not my, my question. My question is, why do you take them in the first place? And, and then once you take them in the first place, why don't you just, I mean, give them back? Now, the, the contrast with this is that, that Mike Pence, um, in the aftermath of the November elections, he his chief of staff apparently was designated as the guy to you know work with the National Archives to make sure that all the documents were boxed up and and went where they were supposed to be. President Trump didn't do that. There, there's no question a, about that. Again, whether you think it's a felony or not, whether you think he had the right to declassify these things, why? Why do you keep these documents in in the first place? Was he? Do you think he was planning to sell them to Russia? I, I mean, I, I doubt that. I, I don't think there's any evidence that suggests that. Do you think that he was? I don't know. Planning to use some of these documents in a comeback tour? I don't think that that's the case. What What do you think was the driving force behind this decision to keep these documents? Because Let's face it, this, this, in, regardless of where you come down on this issue, it, it becomes a non-issue if he had not taken the documents in the first place or if he had made a sincere effort once you get, you know, once your people are contacted by the people from the National Archives or whatever, before it even gets to the FBI stage, you just say, oh, okay, l- let's see what we've got. And here, you, you, you take this stuff back. Why didn't he do that? What what do you think was the motivating factor? Now I've got a theory. I'll share it with you in a moment. But I'm curious what what started these wheels in motion? Because this entire search warrant, the last 16 months, now all the stuff, it, it all seems so completely and totally unnecessary to me. So what do you think was the catalyst? Why did this happen in the first place? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. See, all this stuff about the Trump papers, it's just, the whole thing to me is, is just so unnecessary because my, my underlying question is, whether you think it's a crime or not, why why do you think he kept them? I mean, why why are we here? Because, again, this, this so much of this strikes me as unnecessary. And, and yeah, I, you can make the same argument with Hillary Clinton, and I didn't think she should be prosecuted either. So I'm pretty consistent with that. But but what, why keep these documents? 855-616-1620. Here's just some that we're getting swamped with text. I legitimately believe he thought he could make money selling these to someone. Trump is an obvious narcissist. He doesn't actually care about national security. He only only cares about himself and winning. That's all. Okay, so you thought you were going to sell the documents. I have. I find that hard to believe. Jeff, it was said that Trump had notes in some of the margins of the documents. He had to have some kind of plans for them, or he didn't just trust his memory and wanted to keep the information relative, relevant in case he was elected again. Jeff, I think he kept them because of spite. Jeff, there's only three possibilities. I see it. The documents are incriminating to Trump personally. The documents could be sold for money or political favors. The documents could be used to blackmail others. Others. Okay, that's the that's that thought. Jeff, um, let's see. Trump used Russian financing for decades. It's possible he was blackmailed by Russia to get these documents to Russian sources. Okay, um, Jeff, I think Trump thinks of himself as more of a king that owns and rules all, not a president subject to checks and balances. 
Um, I voted for the guy, but I think this is narcissism in action. Jeff, I don't like Trump, but prosecuting the document stuff isn't a good precedent. Most of his problems are self-inflicted. He seems to think that he's a special person. Okay, let's talk to Greg in Janesville. Greg, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Good talking to you. Okay, why do you think he kept these documents? What's your theory? Well, I I think you pretty much hit on on it. What I was going to say with all these texts, excuse me, I have to close the door here. Um, I I think he would for sure use it for either monetary or uh, some kind of political game somewhere. Um, I I don't trust him at all, you know, and uh, I think... He would even, I don't think he would actually sell the document, but he would sell access to it. Okay. And uh, he'd take people in his office and say, hey, look at this. Isn't this cool? You want to take a look? You know? Okay, so um, you think he had a master plan? You, you, you think that there was some sort of master plan that he was actually going to do something with these documents that would have benefited him, whether it's ego, hey, look at this, or something more corrupt, right. something selling yeah. money. Okay, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I'll give you my theory in just a second, but I'm, I'm curious where where people come down on this. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Dennis. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. What do you think? Well, good morning, Jeff. How you doing? Hi, Dennis. <laughs> what, what do you think? I, I mean, none of us know for sure, but I mean, this is, to me, it's the most, no, no. It's the most interesting question. I mean, what... Why, why do you open this particular door? Why do you get Why do you get yourself in this situation in the first place? I, I think from my my studies uh, in, in education, what have you, I, I think we need to apply Occam's razor, which you know the simplest explanation is usually the right one. And I, I think the simplest explanation is this guy's got a massive ego. <laughs> yeah. he, he just uh, I, I think he uh, just believes he can do whatever he wants. And I'm not condoning that. I don't think that's right. I, I was married right. to a person like that. But in <laughs> any case, the, the reality is, I, I think the other part, I believe, you know, like a, a sports nut collects memorabilia. I think this is part of his memorabilia as well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess. Um Dennis, I, I mean, I, well, no, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I, I have to tell you that that's, that's a, a variation of what I think. And I mean, none of us know for sure. I, I find it, I find it impossible to believe that, you know, there was some super secret plan to, to take these documents, which by and large, their existence was known to like, federal authorities. I mean, the National Archives knew that this stuff was out there. I I find it almost impossible, I guess, to believe that there was some plan that we're going to sell these to the Russians or we're going to use them to blackmail people and stuff like that. What what I think happened is, I I think the answer, and I'm I'm with Dennis, I think it's a lot more simple. I, I think Trump is this incredible narcissist. He has this incredible ego. So they pack up these boxes with these different documents or or they've got the documents that are down there during the course of, of the presidency. And he just, for whatever reason, thinks the rules don't apply to him. And he just decides, I'm I'm not going to give these things back or I don't have the time. I, I don't have the time to fool with this. These I'm, I'm trying to get myself, you know, back in the White House. I was screwed out of my job in the White House. I, I want this back. And, and I just think I, I think and you feel free to disagree. I just think this was a low priority sort of thing. And he just didn't take this seriously. 
I, I think. And and maybe he points to the fact, well, they didn't do anything with Hillary Clinton and her server, and this doesn't make any difference, and I was entitled to do this. And I just think he just viewed this as a minor sort of annoyance in the big scheme of what he's trying to do, plan his political comeback or get back. And I, I think, see, I guess I don't, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, and I'm sure some of you think that. I, I don't think there was some sort of ultimate, you know, evil motive behind it. I just think it was sloppy, lazy um, ego coming in that, you know, this is this is a minor thing. This hey, These are just papers. You know, who who cares? This is for the little people to fool around with, and they're just kind of an annoyance. You know, like you get, I don't know, one of those 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 constant letters from, you know, some bill collector or something you have no intention of paying. You just kind of keep putting the thing, you know, if this has come in every month, I'm not going to pay attention to it. This is beneath me. I don't need to worry about it. I, I tend to think that that's more of what was going on as opposed to some illicit sort of purpose or we're going to sell these to the Russians and stuff like that. I mean, and I guess I, I would point to the fact that if the government believed that there was something really illicit going on, that there was something in these documents that really did jeopardize national security, that they thought that he was going to traffic in them, I, I think I think they would have acted sooner as opposed to this back and forth that you had for the better part of a year, give us these documents. I just think Trump blew them off because it was a, a function of ego and hubris, and of course you know we know what happens with ego and hubris. Let's talk to Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with you, so to speak, in regards to I, – I, I wouldn't say he was just, like, blowing them off and saying, you know, with his ego or anything. I think his legal team failed him. I think his administrators failed him as well. He had personal documents like his passports and things like that right. inside these boxes as well as some other personal information that has absolutely no business in D.C.'s hands in the first place. I mean, it's – it's my files, you know, for my personal things. I wouldn't let them just go rummaging through and grabbing it all. On the other hand, if he had classified information, why didn't his lawyers do their job? Why didn't they just cooperate and send these, these documents back? I think he put too much trust in his legal team, and it came back and bit him in the butt. Okay, thank, thanks. So that's, that's kind of the, um, the sort of like the – and that would be, I would guess, if there were to be criminal charges, that would be – one of the defenses that you would hear, it's kind of like the, we, we, in the law, we used to call it the potted plant defense, that this was, like, I had not, I had nothing to do with this. This was all my lawyers. It was other people. I, I don't, I've got bigger things to worry about. This is, you know, you know, whether there's, you know, some documents that need to go back or not mixed in a box somewhere, that's that's not my concern. I mean, I just turned this over to the, the lawyers, and it was a ministerial thing. And if I'm guilty of anything, it's that I just I didn't ride herd on them enough, but I trusted the people. I, I think that's a theory a, as well. I think that would be a defense if there would be any criminal charges. And it's one of the reasons why I suspect whether it's accurate or not, there, there's probably not going to be a criminal charge. Jeff, I think Trump did this deliberately, and I I don't think he does anything without careful thought. Boy, I, I, I mean, have you seen the tweets that came out over the course of the last five years? He knew what he was doing, and he did it for a reason. I think the reason will still come out. He's a liar and a cheater, and somehow he thought this would benefit him. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's. I think it's more I'm, – I'm going with my theory that the rules don't apply to me. This was a petty thing, and, and I just – it's not worth my time. Um, Jeff, I think it's typical Trump. I think that uh, the, he thought the rules don't apply 
to him. Jeff, I also heard that President Obama and President Bush had records that they requested back and they refused to give them. I can't prove the facts, but it's something I believe have been typical for all the different presidents. Um, Jeff, how do we know there are any documents? Trust, trust the FBI and the swamp? Well, there, there were clearly... <clears throat> I mean, there were, there were clearly documents, and there are clearly documents that he wasn't entitled to have because they returned a whole bunch of, of documents, which, you know, they voluntarily gave back boxes and boxes of documents before the search warrant, which raises the question of why do you have them in, in the first place? And again, I tend to, I just tend to believe that there's uh, just a, a more simple explanation, which is that, you know, he had them. He was entitled to have them when he was the president of the United States, and it just wasn't a priority to give them them back. And now, of course, you know, you, you poke the bear and you say, you know, you, you just try to blow off the FBI and you blow off the Department of Justice and you blow off the National Archives. And sooner or later, they're going to, you know, push back. So whether that's legitimate or not, I, I don't know. Um, Jeff, wake up. Trump is only concerned with financial gain. Of course he wanted to sell them. And I just don't think that's the case. I just I don't believe that. I mean if there was if there was evidence of that, I think you'd be hearing that. And again, I, I point to the fact that if there was evidence of that, I, I think you know, the Department of Justice would have acted a, a lot sooner than go back with this kabuki dance that they did for the better part of like a year and a half. I don't know if we're ever gonna know why he kept them. I just know that all this stuff would have been avoidable had he chosen not to keep them. Okay, I I acknowledge that in some respects I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to this, but I still wear wristwatches. It it just, I've always worn a wristwatch I continue to wear a wristwatch. And yes, I have a cell phone with me, and I understand that you can pull out the cell phone and you can check the time. I understand, but still, it's just easier for me to have the wristwatch and to just be able to look, and I I tell time just fine. I can tell what time it is. I have two cheap, comparatively, and they're cheap. I have two cheap Green Bay Packers watches, one that was given to me by my father, one that was given to me by my late wife that I, I still have. And I have a nicer watch that was given to me by my wife, Fran. So, I mean, so, but that's it. But I, I always wear one of those. And if I ever go out without one of those, those watches, I actually, I kind of feel somewhat naked. I, I just do. My wife, Lord Lover, has for the last several years been trying to talk me into accepting as a gift one of these, these Apple watches. She has one. A number of her friends have have them as well. And I, I keep saying, no, I have no interest in, in these because, well, first of all, I, I don't want the hassle of having to charge the thing every night. You know, that's I, I don't want to do that. Secondly, I don't care about how many steps I've taken in a particular day. I don't care about the, the different. I'm just that's I use a watch to tell time. OK, and, th- and that's all that I need. Now, I understand. Matter of fact, a few years ago, Fran bought me as a gift one of these watches. But that was back when I still had the, the Apple five 
um, cell phone and it wouldn't pair up. And that was back before you had the watches that nowadays they can work independently of the cell phones and they can get calls kind of like Dick Tracy and you can talk into them. So she bought me the gift. We ended up having to take it back because at the time I had the old cell phone. Now my new cell phone would work and now you can even buy the um, watches that don't need that operate independent of the cell phone. But still... I just, I don't need it. And and candidly, I just, I don't want it. So I keep saying, I mean, thanks, honey. I appreciate the thought, but it's not for me. Well, okay. There is, you know, these Apple Watches, the Apple Watch SE, which is the one that kind of operates as the phone as well. They've sort of had a kind of checkered history because the sales have sort of been up and down over the last several years. The Apple Watch, which was unveiled in 2015, and Apple's tried to figure out how to market this. You know, originally they were marketing it like as a, as a fitness tracker, and then it was a style statement. Now they're marketing as kind of a way to free yourself from the iPhone. But all throughout this, it's been up and down. The sales have, have again, sometimes they've been big, other times, no. So they've been trying to hit on on who is who is the market for the eye watch, and if it's not going to be for the, the fitness aspect or something like that. Lately, their marketing is turning to a particular type of the market, and the New York Times has a piece about this. Here's the first paragraph: Florian Fangor waffled for about a year over whether to buy an Apple Watch SE as a gift. The smartwatch cost 279 bucks, and he was worried that its recipient would immediately break or lose it. In May, he decided the benefits outweighed the costs. He bought the gadget. The beneficiary, his eight-year-old son, Felix. And the story goes on to talk about how children and younger teenagers have become a disproportionately large market for the the smart watches as a whole. A 2020 survey of American teenagers said 31% owned a smart watch. Um, that same year, 21% of adults in the United States said they owned one. And what they're saying and what they're seeing is that more and more parents are making the decision to spend the two, three hundred bucks, whatever it costs, to buy the smart watches for their children, particularly even their young children, five years old, six years old, seven years old, as an alternative to buying like a smartphone or something like that. And the argument that's being made is, well, you know, these these watches, they've got certain capabilities. First of all, it's not like if you give a kid a smartphone, they're, they're pretty much going to be able to access the Internet, and, and Lord knows what they're going to be able to find on, on the Internet. You want to be able to have better controls. But it's like, okay, you give them the smartwatch. That's essentially, it, it can serve as a phone. You can track where your kids are, but it doesn't have all the other bells and whistles that a phone would have. So let me ask you this. All right, is that too young to give a kid a smartwatch? Five, six, seven, eight years old. Do five, six, seven, eight year olds, do they need the smartwatches? Should they get the smartwatches? 855-616-1620. Would you buy a smartwatch for your kid? 855-616-1620. I was looking at different watches on the internet right here. Rolex. No, you can get a whole bunch of smartwatches for what it would cost to have a Rolex. Um, 855-616-1620. All right, does that seem excessive to you, 
Or is the justification, well, you know, my five-year-old, if I, if I want to track where he is, I can give him that smartwatch and, and I can I can follow him. Is that even practical to give a five-year-old a smartwatch? Because will they break it? Will they, will they figure out how to charge it every night? Are you going to take the responsibility for charging the thing? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Does anybody really know what time it is? 25 or 624. I've told this story before. That's Chicago. The, the, the history of that, what the title is, everybody thought it had particular like significance and stuff. No, the, the guy who was writing it was, was having writer's block. It's in the middle of the night. He's at his kitchen table. He looks at the clock, and it's 25 or 26 minutes before 4. That's the history of that, 25 or 6 to 4. Okay, we're talking about the Apple iWatch, the, the latest... The, the latest buying boom has been parents buying their kids, young kids. We're talking about ages five, six, and seven. I watches. The idea being, well, okay, I watches. First of all, they're not as expensive as the iPhones or the other sort of cell phone, the, the um, smartphones that you can buy. Secondly, they they allow you to track the kids if if you want. They don't have access to the internet and things like that. And maybe it's a good way to get kids into technology. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I have given my ten year old a smartwatch for three years now. She's in charge of it, making sure it's charged every night. We use it as a reward for her because she loves it. It's great to use for keeping track of where she is, and she makes calls on ca- calls on it in case she needs anything. Yeah, there were a couple people. T- Texting saying, wait, I thought you needed a smartphone with that. That that was the old iWatch. It, it used to be that you needed to have your iPhone with you. Nowadays, no, th- these act independently because there will be times that my wife, who has one, leave her phone at home and she's got it on her wrist. Now, it, it's 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 limited. You can answer phone calls. You know, you can um, you can do a handful of things. But it, it's nowhere. It's not like the, the computer that you have in your hands. But I guess my question is, is that... Is that too young? Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I know a mom who just got her six-year-old one as a back-to-school gift. She claimed on Facebook it'll be a good way to track him and occupy him. I was shocked. I think this is way too young. Jim and Fondelac says, if you don't trust your five-year-old enough to know where he or she is, you know, that's a different conversation that you need to have. Jeff, because of the points you just made about being able to track the location of your child and them having limited internet access, I think people should give their kid a smart phone. Um, Jeff, a very unique benefit of having an Apple Watch is that if you were wearing one and had a sudden fall, vehicle accident, heart condition, it will be configured automatically to call 911. It's a great feature regardless of age. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'm still, I, I have no interest in having one myself, but uh, again, I, I don't begrudge people if that's what they want to do. I guess I'm just thinking, I, I, I guess I understand the wanting to track kids, but at the same time, I, I wonder, is this is this really necessary? I mean, how did how did we grow up without the, the the smartphones? How did we? Is there really that much of a need that you want to have the the kid? You know, always has to be in, in the five and six years old. You know, you need to be able to track. You know, where he is. I, I would assume that for five or six year olds, you're, you're going to know where they are as a general rule. Do you need to be able to call them? Is there that need? I mean, I guess is there a problem with it if you've got the money to do it? I, no. 
would I buy a five or six year old a smartphone? I'd really, I mean, sorry, an, an iWatch. I'd really need to be convinced that there was some real pressing need that they had for it as opposed to this abstract thing of gee you know maybe this is going to let me track them let's talk to todd todd you're on wtmj good afternoon hey how you doing sir good. Uh, you know when my son was five it was, it was a long time ago but when my son was five we taught him how to use a payphone and, and actually in his preschool i think he was the only kid that knew how to use a payphone okay. but my thought was in the event he got separated from us. He got separated from a crowd. Obviously, the first thing you tell children is, look for a police officer. Well, good luck today. You, you aren't going to find a police officer. But payphones were everywhere. And he could use a payphone, and he could call on a payphone, and he could get help. And it, it, whether it was in lobbies, whether it was in buildings, whether it was on corners, he could make a phone call if he got lost. But today, there are no payphones. So... <laughs> For for a young child, in the event now I don't I'm not the tracking aspect of it, but in the event of an emergency, what is a child supposed to do? Look for an adult. Mm-hmm. People are scared to death to let their children talk to adults today, and, and there are no I'm people. Ju- I'm just curious. So did your did your child? I'm just curious. I'm, this- I'm curious, Todd. Did your child ever have to use the payphone to call you? Did it ever happen? No. For- yeah. Fortunately, he did not. But you know, the one time. The one time that we did get lost in a crowd situation at Disney, I found him standing by the payphone. Right. He didn't have to use it. It was too loud, actually. He said that nobody could hear him. But it, it, it was at least something that was readily available that you could teach very, very young children how to do. You pick it up, you dial zero, and you just tell no, them you no. have a problem. No, I, no, thanks, I, I understand. I guess that, to me, to me that... That is the most compelling reason for it. That, and I guess if you have the money, um, do, do I think it's necessarily too young? No, because you see what, what even young kids do with the computers. I guess my question is, and, and this would be rattling around the back of my mind, is, is this, is this giving into paranoia? I mean, is there really that likelihood that that situation is, is going to come up or are we, are, are we just, are, are we worried about it? And is five years old, is six years old, is that old enough to take, to appreciate what you need to do to take care of the, the iPhone with all those different types of things? Now, I understand if you got the money, I, there, there's nothing wrong with doing it. And by the way, that's the reason why I bring up this topic. This, this is where, and if you look at ads that you're going to start seeing over the next month or so, this is how Apple is, is marketing this because they've pretty much exhausted they're adults. I mean, they they've they've kind of run out of different theories to convince grown-ups to to buy these these watches for themselves. And people are pretty much dug in. You either like it or like like me. You're not going to convince me to buy one because I don't want it. I, I don't need it. And and that's kind of where they are. There's not there's not new bells and whistles that you can put on it that are going to make it you know any more desirable for me because I'm always carrying my my iPhone to begin with so you've got all that going on but the market of trying to convince the parents buy this for your kid well that's that's where the growth segment is if you decide to do it that's fine the other interesting thing is are you going to see peer pressure if you've got half of the kindergarten class that's walking around with the iPhones is that going to be pressure on the other half of the parents to buy their kids iPhones